wrote an article in the newsletter this morning on the first page based upon the memory verse that is in the newsletter. And I've said this before in case you didn't hear it or unless you haven't figured it out. I typically write the first article based upon that memory verse. And the memory verse is found in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. It's God's statement to Joshua prior to their entrance into the promised land. Joshua was the new leader of Israel after the death of, of Moses. And God says to Joshua, he asked a question, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, if you think about Joshua, Joshua was a man of courage. He and Caleb were the two of the 12 spies who came back with a good report. They were the ones who, contrary to the evil report, said, no, we can take this land. But he was a man, and as he considered the, the enemies, the pagan nations that were currently living in the, the land, he needed to hear this. But what I've always found interesting about this statement is that strength and courage were commanded of him. Have I not commanded you? What well, can you command someone to have strength and courage. Has God commanded us to have strength and courage? The New Testament parallel to this passage is Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Well, that's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. So as, as children of God today who are making our way to the promised land, we need strength. And we need courage. And it is certainly understandable that God would command us to have that because we need it. But as I think about how to, to work this out in my own life, how is it that I can respond to that commandment in obedience and actually be a man of strength and a man of, of courage? Well, the first thing I would mention is what God said to Joshua, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not tremble. Do not be dismayed. Do not allow fear to replace faith. And the way you can keep this commandment, the way we can keep this commandment, is to remember that wherever we go, God is with us. We will not be alone as long as we stay in fellowship with him. God even told Joshua later in the book that I'm going before you. When you get there, I'll already be there. Now, understanding the omnipresent nature of God, he should have already known that and probably did. But it was a reminder to Joshua that wherever you go, I'm going to be there with you. We go to the New Testament and we see that the disciples soon after the church was established found themselves in need of strength and courage because they came up against the Jews who were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. Now before Jesus ascended back to the Father, 
We see the apostles in rooms with locked doors in fear of the Jews. But then after the resurrection, when they, came, when they became convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be, and they saw him in resurrected form, and then he ascended back to the Father, we see them with the strength and the courage that they needed. But they find themselves facing opposition. Peter and John in the fourth chapter were commanded to no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And their response was to go back to the other apostles and to enter into prayer with those apostles to God because they needed strength and they needed courage. In spite of the strength and the courage that was theirs, they were going to need strength and courage as they faced this opposition. But I want you to notice what was incorporated into this prayer in Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. They heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord, and they said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and, it, and all that is in them. Now what did that have to do with anything? We were just told not to speak in the name of, of Christ, and here we are in prayer acknowledging that God is the creator. Well, what that does is call to mind the strength and the power of God. If you just consider that God created, He created us, He created all that we see, He created the universe, then what that helps us to do is to have boldness as we understand that it is that Creator, it is that God Almighty who is with us. Their response the response in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They found the strength and the courage to continue the work given them by God. Do you find yourself being consumed with fear, trembling, being dismayed, pulling back, shrinking back, not being the person of strength and courage that you once were? Do you need to have strength and courage as you make, yourself, make your way through the wilderness wandering of life and as you make your way to that final resting place, our land of promise? Oh, absolutely. We all need that courage. And that courage comes as we come into connection with God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, here's another statement that reinforces this point about the Word of God. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he said, For this reason we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you, in you who believe. God is in you. Paul wrote elsewhere to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Why is that important? It's because it's a source of strength. It's a source of encouragement. It is that which can empower us, and it is that through which God will work in us if we truly, truly believe. In 1 John chapter 1, John was writing about the Word, and in this case, he's writing about the Word that manifests itself in the form of Jesus. 
But I want you to notice what he wrote here that I also think supports this idea of God being with us. And this is something that Jesus communicated to the apostles. And it was something that they wanted to communicate to those who would believe in Jesus through their word. John writes, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. And I believe he's writing not just about the time that Jesus was with them before his death, but the time that Jesus was with them after his death. They touched the imprint of the nails in his hand. They touched the wound in his side after he had been raised from the dead. And that convinced them that, that this was Jesus and that he had been raised from the dead. It wasn't just a vision. He was real. The life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. Notice this point. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. As we listen to the Word of God, that Word that has power and that can perform its work in us, as we listen to that Word that was delivered through inspiration of the Holy Spirit and communicated to us by the apostles, as we take that Word within us, it, it strengthens our faith, but... In the strengthening of our faith, we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship means joint participation. It means we are sharing in, sharing with. God is with us. Be strong and be courageous. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Everything that has been communicated in the Scriptures has sent that same message. That's another theme of the Bible, that God is always going to be present with us. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John writes, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Joshua understood that. And he moved forward with strength and with courage. The second thing that we can think of as we consider how to obey the commandment to be strong and courageous is that we are in this together. Joshua was not alone. The unbelieving generation had died in the wilderness. It was a new generation. It was a new time. It was a new people. And he would not be alone from the standpoint that God was going to be with him, but he was going in with warriors. He was going in with men and women who had faith, who believed that they could take possession of this land. We need that today, don't we? Do we have this, we are in it together mindset? Do we see that in God's people today? Jesus prayed for it. You remember in John chapter 17 in that high priestly prayer uh, very soon before he was crucified on the cross he went and he prayed for the apostles first and then he prayed for those who would believe in him through the, word, the words of the apostles. And he said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one. 
Why was the unity so important? Because strength and courage come from unity. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. This ties back to the first point. God is with us when we're together, when we're one, that they also may be in us. Jesus wanted his followers to be a unit. He wanted them to work together because it was that togetherness that would feed their strength, that would feed their courage, and that would mitigate against the fear that was going to come into their hearts as they faced the challenges that would lie ahead. In John chapter 20 and verse 17, when Mary Magdalene came to Jesus and she was clinging to him, Jesus said to stop clinging, clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren. Take note of what he referred to Christians in the future and disciples in the presence. present. He called them his brethren. And say to them, I ascend to my father and your father. You're in this together. My God and your God. You're in this together. Be strong. Be courageous. And isn't it exciting as you move into the book of Acts how you see that became a reality? You know, there are so many aspects of New Testament Christianity that are a challenge for us. And I believe this is one of them. There's something to being a part of a team that's working together. You see that in sports. You see that in business organizations when everything is just popping, everything is just clicking. They're, they're effective. They're efficient. They're making things happen. They're winning, and it's not just because of, the, of an individual skill set of one particular person. It's because they have become one. Each one knows what the next is going to do because they know each other so well. We see that in the New Testament church. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, for example, in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves. They were to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Remember what was said earlier about fellowship? Well, they devoted themselves to fellowship. How do you devote yourself to fellowship? It's, it is, I'm going to be committed to being a part of this family. I'm not going to live in isolation. I'm not just going to do my own thing. You can't. You can't be that way as a, a child of, of God. We read in verse 44 of the second chapter of the book of Acts that all those who had believed were together and they had all things in common. And I think that reached beyond their physical possessions and their sharing with one another. There was a bond that held them together. They were truly one in Christ and they understood that in verse 46. Day by day, day, day by day, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. One mind. One mind. That's synergy. Is there just one mind here? Think about that. Chapter 4 and verse 32. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
do we see that in our local churches? How do we make that happen? We just pray about it? We just talk about it? <laughs> Is there something that can be done to make those things happen? They were in it. They were in it, and they were in it together. In the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, when persecution continued to rear its ugly head in the lives of the disciples, there was the death of James, the brother of John. And then Peter was put in prison. Was it just a note in the newsletter? Or did they do something? In chapter 12 and verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And then you see in verse 12 of that same chapter, you see that the disciples were at the house of Mary. They were gathered together and they were praying. As they made their way to the promised land, they knew that strength and courage came from numbers. And so they were in it together. And then the final thing I would say about being obedient to the commandment to be strong and courageous, just trust in the plan. God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go. Why would God be with them? Because God had a plan. He had a plan for the nation. They were God's chosen people. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. They were not only just going in to take possession of the land and fulfillment of a promise, but the, the knowledge of God was going to be made known through these people. It was God's plan. We're a part of a plan. I think sometimes we forget that. It's not just a matter of church. It's not just a matter of being a part of some group that is religious in nature. It's a plan. It was spoken of by, by Daniel and the dream of Nebuchadnezzar as, as that plan would be worked out through the centuries and, and there would be the rise and fall of nations. And then there would be that fourth nation which would be the Roman Empire. And what, what would happen during the days of, of those kings? What happened during the days of those kings? As you read through the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the very thing of which the prophet spoke. He continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. And this statue, there was this stone. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. That was the fourth kingdom. That was the Roman Empire. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time, and they became like chaff or dust from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. That was God's plan. And then in verse 44, in explaining and interpreting the dream. In the days of those kings, Daniel writes, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Sometimes we find ourselves now being undone 
by world events. We, we witness the rise and fall of nations. We witness the rise and fall of kingdoms. And we forget. We become fearful. We become afraid. We become dismayed and we lose strength and we lose courage because we're consumed with what's taking place here on this earth in the physical realm and we forget that spiritual kingdom that Jesus established and of which the scriptures tell us it will endure forever. What is forever? <laughs> it means it's not going to come to an end. In, in the, the gospel of Matthew, when, when Peter made that good confession and he responded to, to the question of Jesus, who do men say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus responded to his words and he responded to his statement, and this is Matthew 16, and he said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You have to trust in the plan. You have to trust in the purpose. You have to trust in the promise of God that nothing is going to cause my kingdom to fall. Maybe what happens during the course of our lifetimes is a test of whether or not we truly believe, truly have faith in that, the, the plan and the purpose of God. In giving the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told them as they went into all the world to, to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Until the Lord returns, His kingdom will exist. We have to trust in the plan. We have to be people of strength and people of courage. And we can't just say, well, I, I'm going to get back to it when all of this settles down. Whatever it is, I'm going to get back to what's important when all of this settles down. Well, I've been around long enough to know that it's not all going to settle down. <laughs> if it settles down, there will be something else that will settle up. Something else is coming. It's just life. It's the way it is. But we have to stay focused on the task at hand. Paul wrote in verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. His life he had put in the hands of God, and he trusted that until God was finished with him, he'd be here. When God was done, he wouldn't be here. In, in the same book in chapter 4, he foresaw his death. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all to, to all who have loved his appearing. He never stopped believing in the plan. He never lost his trust in God's purpose. As Joshua and the Jews would go into the promised land 
And as they worked to take possession of it, to own what was theirs, they would face obstacles. They would face battles. There would be losses along the way. But they continued to believe in the plan and the purpose of God. With the end result, in spite of their shortcomings, that second promise God made to Abraham, promise one, I'll make of thy seed a great nation, promise two, I'll give them a land in which to dwell, that promise became a reality. And they were able to move forward because they knew God was with them. And they were in it together. And they had trust and faith in the plan and purpose of God. Does that describe